You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I'm fascinated by claims that extrasensory perception, or ESP, overturns conventional science and reveals a hidden, unknown reality. Not the psychic nonsense of public fantasy and media exploitation, but the statements of scientists, few in number, who try to study ESP scientifically. Their field is called parapsychology. But critics who call themselves skeptics assert that it's all pseudoscience and should be, in their words, debunked. Okay, say 99% of ESP is illusion or delusion. What about those still unexplained events, however few? Could ESP reveal the non-physical? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and I'd like to find out. Marilyn Schlitz, an anthropologist, is vice president for research at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, a center of parapsychology and other claims of the paranormal. As a student, I would have loved ESP to be real, entered the field myself, tried the search, but the data just didn't convey confidence. Marilyn's experiments, conducted later, were some of the best. Marilyn, I desperately want to know what existence is. And you know, I did my PhD in brain science. I talked to physicists, philosophers. And even though I'm a little skeptical about ESP, I cannot avoid it. Why do we find ESP so intriguing? Well, I think throughout history and every recorded culture, we have people who report these kinds of experiences. Uh, it, it suggests that somehow our consciousness can reach out and travel in the world in ways that you know a strictly materialist brain science kind of view wouldn't allow for. One of the most common ways that people report these is in sleep or dream experiences where they are now in a non-ordinary state of awareness where a lot of the conventional sensory inputs have been eliminated and somehow it allows the brain and the mind to access information about the physical world that, that we're just too busy in a normal day to attend to. Then the deeper question is, you know, from an ontological point of view, is there some reality to this? Is it really true that somehow I'm able to extend the reach of my perception, you know, even onto the other side of the planet to describe activities that are happening there? And rather than just taking it on face value, scientists have now begun to really look at the possibility that we can demonstrate under randomized double-blind type protocols that in fact there is some kind of communication that happens between two people. And this communication seems to defy 
most of what we would commonly call, you know, our physical understanding. I think when people talk about psi phenomena, they're talking about kind of four classes of experience. One is telepathy, which is a kind of mind-to-mind -mind communication, so I can somehow know your thoughts or feelings. The second area is clairvoyance, the idea that somebody can acquire information about an object or event that they don't have any sensory information about. Uh, the third would be precognition, and the notion that somehow we are able to reach ahead in time, gain information about the future, and bring it back and, and report on it. Uh, and then the fourth class of uh, phenomena are um, these kinds of mind-over-matter experiences that people report. Psychokinesis. Psychokinesis. Mm -hmm. And certainly when we talk about you know, healing and intentional healing, people often uh, report that they believe there are practitioners who can harness their intention to bring about physiological changes in another person, even when when the person doesn't know that they're being intended for. So all of this, you know, is what we call psi phenomena. And these are sort of, you know, a class of interrelated experiences. And the question is, can we establish that there are these kind of extended capacities uh, that can be documented and, and ultimately incorporated into our worldview? Claims of ESP start when people believe that they have had certain experiences or come into certain knowledge that seem to defy normal physical laws. Marilyn is convinced, but am I? I'm convinced people believe they've had these experiences but do they ever really? To explore further, I visit Charles Tart, a pioneer in parapsychology and altered states of consciousness. Charlie has no doubts. He's one of the founders of the field. But how does he explain ESP's extremely small effects? Charlie, the concept of extrasensory perception, the paranormal, pervades our culture. You see it all over the mass media, and my opinion, it's worthless. But when one studies the field, if one could show that even less than 1%, even one event, really does violate the traditional understanding of materialistic science, then it's enormously important. Yeah, there's no doubt there's a lot of nonsense thrown together under the heading paranormal, but let's make it quite clear what I mean by that. Para means literally alongside of the normal. We have a view of the way the world normally operates, and so we can say in this situation such and such can happen, but so and so can't happen, because we know how the world works. Suppose we set up a situation in which given all we know about the ordinary reality, nothing can happen. Let's say I put you in a room 10 miles away from here and have you look at a deck of, go through a deck of shuffled cards. Well, back here, I try to guess at them. Given all we know normally, unless you have a telephone line or a radio transmitter or something like that, you're looking at the cards 10 miles away is not going to have any useful effect on me. If it does, we have a paranormal event. Okay, we now have several thousand experiments accumulated over the last century in which paranormal events happen. That is, you set up a situation where nothing can happen by the normal rules, but something does happen. 
if you look at what happens out in real life, forget the laboratory effects for a moment, but the things that happen to actual people, the times it's strong when you get a lot of information by some kind of ESP are usually times of emotional crisis in somebody's life. A loved one of yours is in a very bad accident and they're on the verge of death and you suddenly have a dream about them that makes you want to trace them down or something like that. But at another level, I'm not sure that ESP is designed to work in ordinary life. In trying to make sense of states of consciousness, for instance, from a dualistic perspective, I've postulated that ESP is actually the mechanism by which the mind reads what's going on in the brain through a kind of inner clairvoyance. It's a clairvoyance that's focused on the activity of the brain, which in turn is connected to the senses in the body, which is what you need to know to take care of the body. And I think the mind influences by some kind of psychokinesis various brain actions so the body then does the appropriate kind of thing. That's my best understanding, subject to new information coming in, of course, that this is the, the mechanism that philosophers have always wondered about in dualism. If the mind and brain are different things, how do they interact? I think they interact through a kind of clairvoyance and psychokinesis. That's the mechanism. But if any of this parapsychology is true, our physical worldview, scientifically founded, would be shaken severely. That's why one must be extra skeptical. And that's why I must see Susan Blackmore. She doesn't believe any of this. Not anymore. Sue has a doctorate in parapsychology, but after searching for decades to prove that ESP is real, she decided that it was not. I meet her in Oxford at the Pitt Rivers Museum. Sue, you were in parapsychology for 30 years. What can you tell us now? about the capacity of parapsychology to discern the reality or the non-reality of a non-physical existence. If there was any little bit that was real, telepathy, clairvoyance, psychokinesis, it would overthrow, I think it would overthrow the fundaments of all sciences. It would certainly overthrow all the psychology I know about. It would mean communication with with brains, brain to brain directly. Brains couldn't work the way we think they do. It would, it would be absolute dynamite to science, <laughs> which of course is why I kept going, you know. 30 years I kept, you know, studying paranormal phenomena, thinking, you know, it's so important if it's there, but I don't think it is. Tell me about those 30 years in parapsychology. Well, it started with a dramatic out-of-the-body experience that I had here in Oxford in 1970 when I came up as wow. a, a student to read physiology and psychology. I was already interested in the paranormal. I was running the Psychical Research Society in the university. Uh, we'd been having Ouija sessions and inviting mediums and spiritualists and all sorts of wonderful things. And one night I went back to a friend's room um, to smoke some marijuana, which, you know, this was the 70s, uh -huh. you know. Um, that's what we did of an evening. And <laughs> I found myself going down this tunnel towards a bright light. And this was the most incredible experience, lasted a couple of hours. It included all of the kind of classic phenomena of, of a near-death experience, really. Seeing what seemed to be other worlds and meeting people and traveling, you know. 
I became absolutely convinced of all sorts of things that actually don't follow from that, but seem to. That I had a spirit or a soul, that I'd survive forever, that I could have telepathy, see things at a distance. And that's what made me absolutely determined to become a parapsychologist and prove all those closed-minded scientists that I was learning from here in Oxford um, to be wrong. Pretty so, dramatic so, um, aim in life, isn't it? <laughs> so what, what type of work did you do? Uh, you got your PhD? I found, um, amazingly, I found a place to do a PhD and I did research on telepathy and clairvoyance largely. Lots and lots of experiments with lots of subjects trying to transmit um, pictures or words or numbers at a distance. And I got results to begin with and then realised there's something wrong with the statistics and sorted that out and the results disappeared. But there were always little things that kept me going. But after a couple of years I'd got no evidence of telepathy and people were always suggesting what's around the next corner. Try imagery training. I spent months training people in imagery and myself. Try little children. I did work with three, four, five-year-olds. They kept thinking well, maybe it's all rubbish. No, it can't be. There must be something. And I went on and on and on. And finally, about five, six years ago, I just thought, I can't take it anymore. I really don't think there's anything there. In 30 years of research, I never found any good evidence of the paranormal. If anyone wanted and worked to find ESP, it was Sue. But she couldn't. And finally, she quit trying and gave up. There's no end of debate over ESP, not all of it friendly. I want to go beyond the debate and ask, if ESP were true, what would it mean? I love the quest of parapsychology, though I remain pessimistic that real progress can ever be made. Nonetheless, I want to push limits. See where ESP could conceivably go. I now see Rupert Sheldrake, a biochemist, who has rather controversial ideas about how the world is constructed. We meet at the Oxford University Museum of Natural History. Rupert, I've been fascinated with parapsychology for most of my uh, adult life because if anything about it is true, then it would cause us to reflect on what our perceptions of reality is. What are your views on that? Well, I think it's an experimental, que an empirical question, really. Um, do these phenomena exist? The Evidence suggests that things like telepathy and so on really do. I take seriously people's experience. Science is meant to be empirical. That means it's based on experience. And if you look at experience, you find that the majority of the population claim to have had telepathic experiences. Many people have had precognitive dreams. They've dreamt about things that later happen. Many people have had extraordinary coincidences. There are millions of claims. So I think science should start from the assumption that reasonable, normal people whose testimony would be trusted in a court of law, um, normal, sane, balanced citizens, uh, are probably telling the truth. And now some of my colleagues take the opposite view. They say all these people are completely wrong and deluded and stupid and uh, deceived by these experiences because they don't exist. So then you say, well, how do you know they don't exist? 
And they said, well, they're just impossible. Um, now, that's a dogmatic position, all too common among some more limited kinds of scientists. Um, and I think that we need to look at these things experimentally. The scientific method is a method of inquiry. It's not a system of dogmas. I want to ask that if it were real, or even if a very small percentage of it were real, what would it imply in your understanding of reality to the structure of how things are? I think different kinds of parapsychological phenomena have different implications, but let's take telepathy. Um, I think there's good evidence that people can influence animals, dogs can pick up their owners' thoughts at a distance, that people can influence people. Um, you think of someone and, and then they call and you say, it's funny, I was just thinking about you. That's something I've done experimental research on. What the research shows is that these connections occur between people who know each other well. Telepathy works best between members of families and close friends. It doesn't typically work with strangers. And what telepathy implies is that social bonds between members of social groups, whether they're animal or human groups, um, enable them to remain connected at a distance. And, and how possibly could that happen? I think that the social groups have fields. There's a field of each social group. Flocks of birds, when they all turn at the same time, I think are part of a field. Schools of fish, when they change direction. When you say a field, you mean an analogy like to a magnetic field? Yes. In this case, it's what I would call a morphic field, a field of form or shape or organization. That members of that group um, interact with each other within the field. When they go apart, that field, uh, as it were, stretches. Uh, it doesn't break. They remain connected at a distance in a way analogous to quantum entanglement, where two particles that have been part of the same system remain connected at a distance, so change in one affects the other. I don't think it's paranormal or... Uh, I think it's normal. I don't think it's supernatural. I think it's natural. Um, it's part of the evolved nature of organisms. Though scientists reject Rupert's morphic fields theory, I credit him with trying to explain strange phenomena. But are these phenomena truly strange? Dean Radin, an engineer and experimental psychologist, won't quit. He's convinced that he has demonstrated ESP many times over. I'll push Dean on what he thinks ESP is all about and on whether it might indicate some kind of survival after death. Dean, some would use the putative existence of ESP as demonstration of the reality of a spiritual world. Is that a legitimate extrapolation? I think it's useful to look at where the modern uh, experimental study of ESP came from. It came from people who were trying to study whether mediums were talking to dead people. So, I mean, that it, it came out of a tradition where people assumed that there was some kind of a spiritual world. That was the late 19th century. That's right. So after people studied mediums for a while, they realized that the vertical information that a medium would sometimes get, now they claimed it would come from a dead person, but where did it really come from? So the study of telepathy started as a, a way of, in the laboratory, seeing whether a medium was able to get information out of somebody's head. And, and actually then the, within the, the, the field of parapsychology, there was kind of a split. 
most of it went in the direction of experimental laboratory work to look at the basic phenomena, to, to look at clairvoyance and telepathy and all the rest of it. And, and a, a, a shoot, a subshoot of it continued looking at mediumship in more and more refined and sophisticated ways to see if through very complicated designs you can get evidence for some kind of independent entity. So uh, how, how then do you look at ESP as, 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 as a potential window on a, another kind of level of, of, of existence? Well, what it does is it, it creates a plausibility argument. The, the plausibility argument is based on the idea that if you think you're locked inside here, then the only information that can get in there is coming through here and so on. But, but if there's other ways of getting information, then perhaps mind is distributed. In other words, you don't need the, the, to be embodied in order to have some kind of awareness, perhaps. Which would give you a possibility of survival beyond bodily death. Right. It may not involve survival of your personality, because it may well be that your personality is locked in memory in your brain. But if it turns out that memory is not just locked in your brain, but exists in some other form as well, then yes, maybe you as a personality, the person you think of as yourself, might persist in some way. To Dean, ESP is real. But whether it provides evidence that we survive death is an open question. No surprise, Dean. I now consult a professional skeptic. Michael Shermer is the founder and publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Michael's a friend, and I respect his way of thinking as a reinforced levy against the high tide of unsubstantiated hope. Well, I go so far as to say there's no such thing as the paranormal. There's just the normal and a bunch of mysteries we haven't explained yet that have mostly to do with our own ignorance about the workings of the human mind and the natural world. So, for example, people often talk about altered states of consciousness and how somehow these tap into some other world. Near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, and so on. Um, the problem is we don't even have a good theory of consciousness. How can we have a theory of altered states of consciousness if we don't even know what consciousness is yet and the neural correlates of it and so on? So I think much of this has to do with our own ignorance about human psychology and, and the physical world. We don't have to alter the laws of physics to explain how a psychic can talk to dead people because he can't talk to dead people. We have another explanation for what's really going on there in the room and there's nothing left to explain. How does the astrologer do it? How, how do the planets influence your personality? They don't. The astrologer's actually just doing this, this psychodrama reading on somebody that has to do with psychology and not planets. So for the most part, there's nothing to explain. Hey, that's the point, though. For the most part, I don't care if 99.99, take your nines as far as you want, is the, the phony, the charlatan, the mob psychology, call it what you will. I want to know if out on that decimal point, the .0001, for the most part, you said, yeah. I want to know for that little part, if that little part is legitimatizing a non-physical world. I don't care about all the rest. Maybe. But that's about as, that's about as far as I can hey, go. Hey, maybe from you is important. Well, I'll, sure. I'll take it maybe very, uh, very powerfully. As a skeptic, you have to say maybe. And you have to say, I don't know. 
You have to, because a skeptic is just a scientist. The scientific perspective is we don't know everything, we can't know everything, so therefore there's always going to be an opening. But an opening doesn't mean there's this whole other vast world that really exists, it just means I don't know. So there is no paranormal. It can only be some natural explanation or nothing. You can always say, yeah, but this effect I want to explain is explained by, by some supernatural force or some force outside of space and time. End of conversation. It's a showstopper for science, because, okay, maybe, but, but how do we know? How, can you, how do you find out? How do you run the experiment to find out? Can't. Is it possible to have a scientific uh, explanation that is outside space and time? No. Science operates within space and time. I, I, I cannot conceive of how that... I can't, no, I can't. No, the answer is no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe ESP is just wishful thinking, sloppy science, clever conjuring, or outright fraud. Maybe the public is just being duped. So there are two phenomena. Although I reject the vast majority of ESP claims, I cannot discard them all. And while I support skeptics disabusing the gullible of their psychic silliness, I also support parapsychologists continuing their work. Because if ESP does exist, if anything anomalous is real, it could change our worldview. Perhaps we'd expand our sense of the physical. Perhaps we'd discern the presence of the non-physical. For now, that's the closest you'll get to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.